0: Welcome to Why in the World. My name is Ben Shepherd. The Tough Girl podcast was the brainchild of Sarah Williams, but she doesn't just speak to inspirational women. She's also won herself, taking on numerous challenges over the years, including the MDS, the Appalachian Trail, and the Pacific Coast Highway, including the Baja Divide. Sarah Williams is on Why in the World. Sarah Williams. Hello. How are you?
1: I am fabulous, thank you. Very (laughs) excited. I was going to say you're very excited to be here, but actually we're in my home, so (laughs) that's a bit
0: of a weird. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to um, be here with you. You're building up your adventure portfolio quite a lot. It's pretty big now.
1: It's growing. You know, it is growing. I suppose my my big ones would be Kilimanjaro twenty thirteen, Marathon des Sables twenty sixteen, the Appalachian Trail twenty seventeen, Pacific Coast Highway and Baja, California twenty eighteen. Um, we'll have to see about twenty nineteen if there's any any more future adventures on the uh, coming up.
0: That sounds very ominous.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not at all. It's more like you know, you just don't know what's happening, and yeah. you're just a bit more like, okay, let's just play things by ear see what happens what started all this uh i suppose i probably have to take you back to i had a very normal very traditional job so 2013 i was working in banking did that for eight years was 32 and you know you're just like this could not be my life mm. this is I'm, I'm tired i'm ill i'm i don't know i was just i was well i don't want to use the word like burnt out but i was and probably like sort of stressed out of my mind yeah so i ended up Quitting, leaving, and didn't know what I wanted to do. Spent 18 months traveling, backpacking, you know, doing the whole trying to find myself. Yeah, yep, yep <laughs> that one, although it was my second one. And um, spent a lot of time over in South America, riding on these buses for 24 hours at a time, really having some quality thinking time. And it was asking myself these questions. What do I want to do? How do I want to spend my time? What do I enjoy doing? What am I passionate about? And for me, that was that was travel, that was adventure, that was challenges, but also motivating, inspiring women and girls. And so I sort of put that all together and came up with Tough Girl Challenges. So when eventually I'd sort of finished all my traveling and ski seasons and everything else, um, came back to the UK. I started up Tough Girl Challenges in, would have been maybe 20, well, the website launched in December 2014, but it took me six months to build the website and put it out there. And I started blogging and no one read my blog. And I was thinking this isn't really having the impact that I want it to have. I then started doing public speaking and talking about challenges and um, going to local girls schools. And then just basically being really, really um, despondent and a little bit disappointed Mm. when I talked to young girls about their goals and their future ambitions. And many of them telling me that they wanted to grow up to be a WAG. And I was just like, this is <laughs> a wag. So that's, you know, wife and girlfriend of a footballer. And I was just like, this cannot be our next generation of young women growing up. I remember coming home and like looking through newspapers and just thinking, hold on, where are all the women? Where are all the female role models? And I thought, if I'm struggling to find them, what hope of young women got growing up? And I was chatting with this with another guy who had a podcast and he was like, Sarah, you should start a podcast. It will be amazing. And I was well, actually like, I just said to you, I'm not technical at all. I don't know how to do this. But I figured it out and I started the podcast and started sharing these stories of women who do adventures and challenges. But though there I am, you know, talking about challenging yourself, step outside your comfort zone, get uncomfortable. You've got to, you, you know, you've got to challenge yourself in order to grow and develop. And then the question gets asked, or I'm asking myself a question, well, hold on, when was the last time that you really challenged yeah. yourself and stepped outside your comfort zone? You can't just talk about this stuff and you've actually got to be able to, back up what you're saying Mm. and so i thought of well how can i really step outside my comfort zone and i'd I'd run london marathon five times and i was quite very comfortable in that i know i can go out and run 26.2 miles but for me it was what happens if you go further and i'd heard about this race the marathon de saab six marathons six days across the sahara desert and that scared me. And that, you know, you get the butterflies in your stomach. Yeah, just but it's like... like that
0: good butterflies, isn't it? It's like oh, that excited, yeah. but scared, but don't know what's going to happen, butterflies.
1: Exactly. And that's, and that was the feeling that I wanted to get back because I know those are the feelings that many people will have, say, before they go to the gym or before they start a 5k or, you know, whatever it is that they want to do. And I wanted to be able to relate. And that's pretty much how it started is um, I wanted to show people how I did it and what I did. So, for example, uh, most recently when I did the Pacific Coast Highway... I shared and documented throughout the year so it was saying look I'm currently so study- I'm studying for my masters I'm working like two part-time jobs I'm planning this big trip this is how I'm doing it mm. and also how am I paying for it so what am I doing about the bike what am I doing about you know X Y and Z and so by actually showing people and breaking it down they're able to think to themselves well hold on what big challenge do I want to do right how do I start where do I go from here what's the first step and I think if you can document people And show them the journey, that's really, really powerful.
0: So from the beginning then to now, do you now feel like it's your kind of duty to keep doing what you're doing and keep spreading the message and keep trying to inspire?
1: Absolutely. But also, you know, I'm very, (laughs) this sounds really selfish, but I really enjoy doing the challenges. I personally, I get so much from it. So it's almost like a double win. You know, I get to Mm. show other people and hopefully other people get inspired Um, by what i do and it helps them to take the next step in their life i mean the other thing i always say as well is it's not about comparison because so many people are like oh i could never do that and it's nothing compared to what you've done and i'm straight away it's like no 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 comparisons it's this is only about you because there's always going to be somebody who's walked further ran faster done something bigger or better or whatever but actually it doesn't really matter so i always think to myself would i still want to do these challenges if um if other people weren't, like, following me, for example. Mm. And my answer's always been, yes, I want to do them for me. And so that's why I'm going to do it. But I'll just share it with other people as, as well.
0: How do you pick what you want to do?
1: Uh, it depends. So Marathon de Sables are that seed got planted many, many years ago when I first heard about the race. And I just thought, that's, that's too Alters. extreme. Yeah, it's too crazy. Yeah. Like, how can you even... How is it even feasible to run... In those temperatures and carry everything you need, but I ended up training for about eighteen months to do that race, and then suddenly, a week later, it was it was over, it was done, and that was. And obviously, I did suffer from the adventure blues a little bit. And I remember coming back and I was on getting the train back from like London Euston, like just burst into tears on the platform. And it was like, oh. But then I was thinking, well, for the next one, I wanted to do something where I didn't want to be training for eighteen months, but I wanted the adventure to be longer. So I knew I wanted something more. Sort of progressive. yes yeah. yeah, yeah. progressive and I'd heard about the Appalachian Trail and it was one of these things I'd never heard about before and I, then I found out I, I discovered about the all the these long through hiking long distance through hiking paths in America and you know something also just gets inside your, your head and I, I did more reading about it I watched YouTube videos and I started to think well maybe that that would be amazing wouldn't it That's a big physical challenge it's big huge. undertaking.
0: For people that don't know what it is exactly just explain where from where to where it goes through
1: So the Appalachian Trail is over in America it starts in Springer Mountain Georgia and runs through 14 states up to Mount Katahdin in Maine it's a distance of 2,200 miles and it's sort of it's the longest hiking only footpath it's the equivalent of walking up and down Mount Everest 16 and a half times oh. it's, um, it's but it's beautiful it's stunning it is a phenomenal experience so a lot of people um, take five and and a half six months to through hike it, um, but I basically didn't have I couldn't take five and a half six months off. And I heard about a guy the previous year who'd done it in a hundred days, and I was like, Huh, that sounds interesting. Because I think also for me, I know that I could through hike it in five and a half six months. That wouldn't be I and mean, this isn't being arrogant, it's just it wouldn't be that much of a challenge. Like it yeah. wouldn't be a challenge, but I, I'd be able to do it. You can it. do it, I can and do you it. You want
0: to push yourself,
1: yeah. And so things started to come together and I wanted to go back to university to do my master's. So I knew I had to finish sometime in September, but then I was thinking, well, how can I preload the podcast content while I'm away? And I wouldn't be able to preload, you know, to preload five, six months worth of content is oh just, God. is huge. And then a hundred days just really sunk in there. And I thought, that's a big challenge. 22 miles every single day for a hundred days, carrying everything I need, doing my resupply, being solo, being unsupported. And I thought, Yeah let's do that. That'll be fun. And I'll vlog it and I'll share it all and show people on YouTube what it's actually like. And uh, that's what that's what I ended up doing.
0: For a lot of people saying that you're going to hike 22 miles a day for 100 days, carrying everything that you need. A lot of people would look at you and go, that's not fun, man. That's awful. But I, to you, it's very fun. It's a challenge.
1: It is fun. It's a challenge. It's being back out in nature. Mm. I think that's... And it's also... It's a very simple way of life. Like there's no there's not much really to think about. All we have to do is wake up in the morning and, and go hiking and just, you know, walk and think and see beautiful scenery and, you know, meet other hikers along the way. I mean, I have to say, for me, you know, some people's idea of fun is going shopping on a Saturday, and I'm just like, I can't think of anything worse. Like, I just don't shop. Like, even food shopping like stresses me out, and like clothes shopping, it's just
0: like, no. Don't do so it. let's talk about the challenge itself. Then, when did it start? When did you fly out?
1: So it started. I started on the third of June, and I flew out like on the thirty first of March, April. May yeah so flew out towards the end of May I had maybe about four or five days in a, um in Atlanta Georgia just to get my final bits and bobs and sort myself out before heading to heading to the start of the trail so third of June was my start day tenth of September was my finish date which also happened to be my birthday as well oh. so I thought that was a nice nice yeah, nice definitely. time to finish
0: how did you feel standing on that start line
1: well it was getting to the start line okay. I was I was so um we got I stayed at a um a hostel like the night before and there was another guy starting as well um at the same time and it was it was nerves and it was excitement and even on the way there <laughs> I was thinking do I share this or not it's gonna be a massive overshare but actually <laughs> do you ever have to you know sometimes you sometimes before you do overshare. like public speaking you have to like a nervous wee. I had to do like a nervous poo when <laughs> I was out there like so we're on this trail I was like we're gonna have to stop so I had to like run into the woods already like you know to go and do my business because I, I was not freaking out, but I was like, oh my god, like this is something that I've been thinking about for months. You know, mm. there's been so many plans and preparations and then suddenly I'm here. And, you know, we had to walk, we went to like Springer Mountain car park and then you had to do like a mile walk up to get to the to the actual starting point mm. and there's like a plaque up there. And um it was like touching the plaque. And then for me it was like, right, game on, right, got hundred days, I've got, you know, I've got a flight booked out of Boston, I've got to get up, I've gotta get up to Maine. And then it was like, right, let's let's get walking. And then you walk the mile back down again through the car park. And suddenly it was like on the trail and like, oh, my God, I'm actually doing this. Yeah, I'm doing this. I'm sure
0: through that 100 days there was difficult moments. I'm sure there was amazing moments as well. I just want to recount a couple of them. Have you got any personal highlights of that 100 days?
1: I think probably the, the biggest highlight for me would be when I was in like the White Mountains. And I've been at this point, I've been pushing and doing, say, 25 miles a day or something like this so I've been hitting some pretty big miles and through the White Mountains it's like a whole different kettle of fish because it's so mountainous and challenging and I I was up quite high up um, almost like on this like plateau and um, it had taken me so normally for example to walk You know, I'd be able to walk about three kilometers an hour or something like that. So three three miles an hour, about 20 minute miles. Mm. And I thought I'd be able to continue that through the White Mountains. Not at all. So I thought, I'll just go an extra four miles, which doesn't seem that long. And I thought, well, it's only going to take me like an hour and 20 or something. It ended up taking me over like four hours. And so, so I was walking through the night up in the White Mountains. And I do remember being up there with the fog starting to come in. And I couldn't see... The blazes, So these white blazes on the rocks and the trees and there weren't any trees, they were just on the rocks. And so I'm standing on this, on this like sort of plateau rocky bit with the fog coming in, not being able to see where I'm going. And this is when things can get really scary. They're dicey. Because, well, also, because I didn't have, um, you know, I didn't have the correct equipment for being that high up. And, you know, if the rain comes in and stuff, you know, I would have got too cold and, mm. and also getting very scared about getting lost or actually just falling off the uh, falling off the edge. <laughs> And that's when, like, in your mind starts going a 1,000 miles per hour and just, like, right, you really need to stay calm here. I remember just having to take these few deep breaths and, like, really just, like, focus. And luckily they had, you know, the cairns, like, piles of rock. Yeah. And it was, like, right, just next rock, next rock, next rock. And I remember getting into the shelter and, like, you know, when your heart's pounding because you're adrenaline and you're just, like, I'm never being that stupid ever again in my life. But then the the following day... You
0: always go back there. You always go
1: back. The following day... So you see that you'll sometimes look at the trail and you'll see these white blazes, and you're thinking that cannot be the way. It's like up a sheer rock face. That's just absolutely crazy. <laughs> and one of the things I found is generally like on the Appalachian Trail, if you can't find the the route or the way, then you need to look at the hardest, look which you think is the hardest way, and that's where the blaze is going to that, be. That's very helpful. Well, I, I saw this basically this rock sheer rock face, and there was a few like trees and branches coming out, and I was like, okay, well, other people must have done it. Like so. it's... People must have done this. So I'm literally scrambling, pulling up trees and branches, like sheer rock face. Like it was only about, I don't know, like 10 10 metres or something. Got up there, turned around, was like, oh my God, that's so, so dangerous. To look to my right to find a set of stairs going up. And I was just like, I can't believe I've just taken the most hardcore route. (laughs) But it was like, you know, like hidden behind behind some like trees and stuff that you wouldn't expect. Um, But kindness of strangers as well. Like I met quite a few of my listeners out on the, on, um, on the Appalachian Trail. So I met this girl called uh, Becca at Kling- Klingman's Dome. She waited for like six hours for me because That's it's so it's so difficult to judge your timing because it's easy to look at a map and say, okay, well, I'll walk those you know, those five miles in that time and I'll be there at, you know, I think I said to her, I'll be there at two. And it didn't rock up till like half six or something. And there's no way to contact her because you 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 know you don't have any signal. But it was it was an amazing experience. And one of the things I did like was the fact that I vlogged it and video, videoed it. And um, I actually created, like, a six-minute short film about it. And it's quite interesting because there are a lot of tears. Um, I think I just selected those bits because they're all the most emotive um, emotive bits. And um, I just think it's quite funny because sometimes when people do challenges, they do make it, like, the highlight reel. And it's just it's the beautiful scenery and um, you know, the fabulous... I was gonna say fabulous food, but you know, camping food and, yeah. and people and locations, but they don't necessarily talk about the blisters or the fact that it's rained for three ro- for three days straight, and that all your clothes, you know, putting wet clothes on in the morning, you know, having multiple blisters on your feet, running out of food, getting the getting the shits, you know, vomiting, like all this stuff which can happen when you're out there, seeing bears, seeing snakes, you know, staying in um, uh, in these shelters and hearing like mice nibbling at your sleeping bag, and you know, you're just like sometimes. It's not all fun and games. And so my mission was basically just to be really authentic and say, and also not to have those, the perfect hair shots or the perfect photo shots. It was literally just like, this is what I look like when I'm out on trail. I haven't showered for nine days. Of course I look like smelly and dirty and skanky. But I think that's really powerful Mm. because um, people need to see the the other side.
0: Well, you do as well. That's the thing. I feel like when people come back from challenges, a lot of the time, then they start thinking straight away, let's go and do something else. But to create a six minute video, like you just mentioned, to create that so you can actually go and look back at that as well for yourself and watch that before you ever do another challenge. Like I'm gonna have to go through these moments again because you do in every challenge and I'm sure in every challenge you've done, you've had to go through some pretty brutal moments. Um, At the end of that trail, that must've felt like absolutely incredible. Was there any point that you didn't think you were gonna hit the hundred days?
1: I didn't think I was gonna hit the hundred days. Pretty much 98 days, <laughs>
0: okay.
1: and I'm, honestly, I'm, not, I'm not joking You're at all. I mean, that was one of almost my biggest lessons: was that when I started, I didn't start at 22 miles every day. I sort of built it up, so it was like you know 15 miles, 17 miles, 15 miles you know, just the just under the mm. 20 mile mark. And so by day 50, I'd reached a thousand miles, which was fantastic and amazing. But um, I still had another, only 50 days to go to do another 1,200 miles plus the 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 terrain so like going through the white mountains was going to be a lot harder and I was also getting physically a lot weaker so at that point I put on a stone in weight before I started I'd lost a stone um so I was getting weaker I had more distances to go but I had got like my my hiking legs I think that was the really big lesson for me was this this feeling of failure like every single day it's like I'm behind I'm not I'm not achieving I'm never going to be able to do it and you you look at maps and you just be like you know like a normal size map would be like taller than you and you just be like I've 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 been out here for like four four weeks and I've done like a centimeter on the map and mentally that is so demoralizing just thinking you're never you're never going to get there you're not making any progress and it was only you know it was like maybe like the day before I was thinking oh, I'm definitely you know I can I'm definitely going to do this mm-hmm. but I think that was the big lesson for me sometimes it's not just about the end goal it's about the journey and being able to enjoy the journey who do you feel pressure from then yourself me it's all me it's like it is so it was my choice to the Appalachian Trail, my choice to do it in 100 days, someone said to me, would you would you have felt like a failure if you didn't do it in 100 days, even though you'd, that you'd walk the Appalachian Trail? And my answer, surprisingly, was yes, yeah. I would have felt like a failure because I set myself a goal and a challenge and I mean, very public about, yes, I'm going to do it. It's always probably a little bit naive as well, thinking about, I mean, I remember chatting to my sister and I was thinking, yeah, you know, I feel as though by the time I get close to, like, because you can there's a place on the Appalachian Trail, you can get the train into New York City right on the trail. And I thought, well, when I get there, I'll just be able to pop in New York City for maybe, you know, a couple of days, have some fun, catch up with friends, and then pop back on the trail and still do it in 100 days. And then reality was like, no, no, that's no. That's not happening. That's not happening at all. So it was very, uh, very brutal. But all self-inflicted. That's how I choose stuff, is I put I put pressure on myself because I want to I want to achieve I want to get things done and that keeps helps to keep me motivated and driven
0: the moment you got it done you touched the rock you touched a sign yeah how does that feel it
1: was uh, it was it was surreal like it was about two o'clock and it was just like almost like I can't believe I've done this like mm-hmm. it was like wow. afternoon two o'clock in the afternoon on, on September 10th but the strange thing was I couldn't actually contact like my, my friends and my family to say "Hey guys I've completed it and like walking back down I mean the biggest thing was actually a relief as in like wow I can I can relax now like the Mm. the pressure's off I've completed it but you know it did feel amazing and there was definitely time of contemplation where you're like wow how have I done this like it's very crazy. There was yeah. no
0: cake in for you.
1: There was actually. Was there? Yes. So, um, so I needed to get from Mount Katahdin to Boston, and this incredible member of my of my community called the Tough Girl Tribe, a lovely lady called JoJo, was like, Sarah, I, well, I'll come and meet oh, you. Amazing. I'll come and drive you back. And so um, I was walking back down the mountain, and me and JoJo had been in contact, but like a couple of days ago, because I literally had been in the woods and with no signal, no Wi-Fi, and like just camping wherever. And I didn't, she knew that I was finishing on the 10th, but I hadn't been able to like, sort of confirm any of the details and um i when i was walking back down again you know, i remember vlogging to the cameras and saying oh you know jojo's meant to be meeting me but i haven't been able to get in contact with her i'm not sure if i'm gonna be able to you know what's gonna happen but i'm sure we'll figure it out like two minutes later jojo's walking up the path towards me so that was really emotional like you know obviously burst into tears had a good cry <laughs> and she made me this incredible hamper and there was this big chocolate uh, muffin uh not muffin what do you call it? cupcake you know with all the cream on top and everything i was like Yeah, that was fabulous.
0: It's a pretty memorable birthday.
1: It was pretty memorable, actually. Yeah, pretty fantastic.
0: So after you finished that, what sort of distance time-wise did you give yourself before you began thinking Pacific Coast Highway?
1: I was in such a bad way.
0: Body-wise?
1: Body-wise. And also mentally, because it's very... And this is the hard, when you when you get so fatigued and so exhausted physically, it does affect you, you mentally. So it, like I would struggle. So after I come back, like people would send me text messages and I'd be able to read a text message, but mentally I couldn't comprehend or didn't mm. have the time to be able to reply. Like it was almost like my brain wasn't functioning right.
0: Do you find maybe because like you mentioned before, it is quite a simple life if you're out doing something like that. Essentially you're getting up, you're running, you're getting to the next point, you're sleeping, you're eating, getting up, and it's just repeat, repeat, repeat. When you actually have to come back to being a normal person, to someone that actually has to get jobs done, that has to reply to text messages, that has to do shopping. Do you think that is one of the reasons that you do find it difficult?
1: definitely and it's it, 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 there is there is such an adjustment as well just um, from from literally like living in the woods mm. for, for three months to coming back home to like normal society and, and even just not being able to go to the toilet whenever you fancy it <laughs> you're just like I keep to bring up toilet stuff Sarah, oh, you got to stop yeah. going behind bins <laughs> well exactly and there's also the adventure blues as well you know getting back to the adjustment and it can be really hard especially when you've had such an incredible experience mm. and then you're back to Normality, And also, I think coming back and realizing that nothing else has changed, you've had this incredible life changing experience, but no one else, you know, not many people can relate like to to what you to what mm. you've done. So, I, yeah, I didn't start thinking my next focus was was doing my master's. So I knew I was going back to university for a while. I sort of like chunked things down. So I knew that basically starting my master's in September, I was after I finished my dissertation. I would only be free from the following September. So that was my purely my focus was just getting my master's in. And it was only when I was catching up with um, with Faye Shepard, who cycled the, the length of the Andes with Anna McNuff, um, I think in 2016. And we were talking about um, her cycling adventures at that point when I was thinking Pacific Coast Highway, because I didn't want to do another big hike again. I just couldn't get excited about hiking and but I thought cycling. Your feet were
0: probably like no. Well,
1: I think it was, it was more like my knees and my okay. glutes and stuff. And so my knee, my everyone's sick and tired of my left knee but you know having like knee problems from it because basically my glutes weren't firing i'd gone over on my left ankle like numerous times on the trail and so you know if you if you damage like your your ankle or you break your little toe your body will start adapting around it and so you can and you can change like your gait and everything so that started happening for me like on my left side um so i was actually struggling so some points like i I couldn't really walk properly, like like struggling to get upstairs to sit down. So I I still, I mean, I'm still I'm actually rehabbing at the moment, like properly rehabbing. I didn't really have time last year to do it. I know I thought cycling Pacific Coast Highway, perfect time to start Pacific Coast Highway September, Um, but that only takes about fifty days, and that would take me down to San Diego, and then I just didn't really know what to do next. And she said, "Have you heard of the Baja Divide?" And I was like, "No." googled it and i was like oh my god that sounds amazing so you doubled up so i thought it doubled up which in hindsight was actually a really big mistake mm. but um yeah lots of added complications for, from doing that
0: before we get into that do you find yourself chasing that height that feeling when you finish one of these challenges
1: no i think for me it's more about especially now it's more about the journey okay. and it's about enjoying enjoying the journey it's not finishing a challenge and you know touching the rock or reaching the summit of the mountain or you know ending your bike trip is it's always amazing but actually it's it's never as amazing as you think it's going to be i know that sounds really weird but it's obviously it's great to achieve your goal but i want to make sure that i'm enjoying the whole process of getting yeah. there because that's where you spend most of your time so for me it is it's the journey it's the a lot journey. of the time as
0: well you're Pretty much, there may be one or two people there at the end of these things, but you're pretty much on your own. It's not like you're finishing a big race and there's a massive crowd there and they're screaming, and they're clapping. You literally get there and you're like, "Huh?
1: Yeah, good on me. Yeah. Well done, me. I did, th- the I did, I did this. Back. Yeah, exactly. So you take it as
0: kind of like a whole thing, like a product, if you will, rather than just. I finished this. It's the whole experience that you're going for.
1: Yeah, but I think that's something also I've learned over time because, you know, I think if you do marathons and you get the medal, you know, round your neck at the end, and there it's is. It's all about
0: that. time a lot of the time, so isn't it? It's about finishing. It's like, oh, what time did you do it?
1: Exactly. And and I think you do get to that point where you're just like, actually, I've, I mean, I remember very clearly after Marathon de I've got the medal around my neck and I had this, ma- I mean, the biggest high you could imagine. And it just, I felt incredible. I felt, you know, literally on top of the world. That lasted for less than two minutes mm. before I started to think. Right, I've done that. What's next? What What do I need to move on to? And when I really reflected and really had some time to think about that, I thought that's not how I want to be living my life. To aim for these like one-off peaks or these really like little high points, which last like two minutes, because that's not that's not fun. That's not joy. That's just um, going through the motions to get to that high point. And I thought, well, I want to feel that amazing every day so therefore if i focus more on the journey and what i'm learning and then you know when i do reach the end which i will that high feeling will have lasted throughout the throughout the journey
0: i suppose from what you're doing as well with your podcast and sharing it with other people and inspiring other women and other people as well not just women you inspire loads and loads of people that in itself is a way for you to almost share an individual experience which is quite a special thing really not many people are able to do that you're able to share your individual challenge or individual experience with this community of people you've built up that must feel pretty special
1: oh it's amazing and there's so much like support and encouragement and there's so much knowledge out there Um, about it i mean i remember like cycling now i haven't i haven't ridden a bike since i was like maybe like 13 or something Mm. and things you know what about what about your bum what about saddle sores how do i deal with this and you know i put it out there to to my community and you know the answers i got were absolutely phenomenal phenomenal so there's so much knowledge um available and so many people willing to share as well and you know all the women who come on my podcast to talk about their stories and their journeys and their life and providing advice and tips um is, is really really special.
0: Let's go to the start of the Pacific Coast Highway because there's a few bits that I want to cover with that journey and uh, then doubling up with the other challenge as well and the changing of bike and all that sort of thing. You went out there um, to start the Pacific Coast Highway without a bike.
1: Well, I just didn't have one, so like, so um I started when I when I was in the UK. Like, I borrowed like my dad's bike. So I actually don't have a I don't have a bike. My dad's got a bike. My mum's got a bike. But my dad's bike is like slightly too big for me. Mum's bike is like slightly too small for me. So I was training on my dad's bike. You know, managed to make it work. But I looked at it. I was like looking at costs. Like, do I do I buy a bike here in the UK? Do I post it out? Do what do I do? Because after I finished. Um, after I finished the bike trip I was going to be in Australia and then I was going to be in India so how do I handle this whole bike thing so I thought well I can go out and buy a second hand bike and um, and that's what I did so rocked up to Vancouver I, I mean in advance I had googled like all the shops where I could find bikes and I remember walking into this shop and I was basically like hi, so I'm going to be cycling the Pacific Coast Highway and, you know, I need a bike. And they were like, how much money do you want to spend? And I was like, nothing. What's the cheapest bike that you have? And they started pointing out these, like... It sounds
0: bonkers that you're looking for the cheapest bike that they have when you've got how many miles?
1: Like, oh, just over about a couple of thousand, like oh, 2,000. Two it'll, two it'll be fine. But they showed me, like, these really, like, beautiful, expensive, like, two, $3,000 bikes. And I was like... No, I think. What about those bikes in the corner, which like looked a little bit rusty, a little bit more battered? I mean, they were still like just under four hundred dollars, and um, he's like, "It'll it'll probably get you there." So you know, that's that's what I did. I did, you know, I had a quite really tight budget, and I was like, "What what do we need? We need a bell. We need a mirror. I need some panniers as well." Like, you know, do you have because I didn't have any of this stuff, oh, okay. so went out there, got it sorted pretty easily. Actually, like it took me you know just a couple of hours and walked back to the hostel with my with a bike I'd never ridden before and um, I mean I was even too scared to like ride it from the shop like because it was like the shop was on a hill and I was thinking downhill traffic and I was like oh no I'll have to go to a quiet side street to then ride it back and like riding in city traffic as well that was scary like it was it was really scary
0: for people that don't know just explain the Pacific Coast Highway so
1: Pacific Coast Highway runs down the east coast of America it starts in Vancouver and you, there's a couple of ways that you can do it you can either um, go round to like Seattle and then hit the coast again and it basically just travels all the way down through like San Francisco, LA, San Diego. Um I ended up sort of going more around the coast towards the top, so I went past a little town called Forks, which was made famous by Twilight, if anybody (laughs) if anybody likes those movies. But it's it's stunning, it's beautiful. There are campsites maybe every 25 miles where you can stay at and you know camp out and meet other cyclists. It's really really popular. But you can do it in about 40 days, 45 days. You can obviously do it a lot, a lot, lot quicker. Um, But it's one of the most famous to, to cycle down especially when you're going past places like Big Sur which is these, these stunning coastal uh, views just outside of California
0: and then explain the second half of the challenge as well
1: this, yeah so uh, you've got Mexico <laughs> and you've got Baja California <laughs> And Baja California is like if you're looking at a map of a map of America, and then underneath you've got Mexico. There's this long sort of like pointy bit which sticks out just below like San Diego, and there's an off-road mountain biking track which is around 1,400 kilometers, which takes you down Baja California and ends up in Cabo San Lucas. I thought that would be amazing. But obviously, if you're going off-road, you need an off-road mountain bike. You need a different GPS for the maps and systems. There's different issues in terms of logistics, um, not only with the type of bike that you're having, but in terms of purifying your water and doing wild camping and and all this sort of stuff. So my plan was to do these two sort of very different challenges, what I thought were also very similar challenges because they're both cycling on on a bike. How different can it be? Turns out to be incredibly different. Um, yeah, uh, also, you know, you, you end up making mistakes, which I'm sure will come on to. But I, one of my members of my Tough Girl tribe, because I was looking, you know, how do I get an off-road mountain bike as well as a, a normal bike? And a member of the Tough Girl tribe said, Sarah, I've got a bike you can borrow. Uh, my parents live 200 miles north of LA. It's an off-road surly mountain bike. It's got the three-inch tires. It's exactly what you need. It was the exact perfect bike for for the off-road section. And so when I was cycling down, swapped over bikes, 200 miles north of LA, got this Beautiful surly bike which I was borrowing, and I'd done my research, or I thought I'd done my research. Whereas that, oh, I'd be able to post it back from Cabo San Lucas back to California, and it's only going to cost me eighty five dollars. So I thought, yay, I'm winning. When I did eventually get to Cabo San Lucas, so I got it all packed up to uh, to send it by DHL, and my, their initial estimate was like eight hundred dollars, and I was just like. Oh, no. The reason I borrowed the bike in the first place was because I didn't have $800 to buy a bike. And I was literally just like, oh, my God. And obviously, no matter what, I'd have to pay it. Mm -hmm. So we did some... not negotiating, but I was like, can you remeasure it? Can we squit? Like, how can we? And I think
0: we got it down take to, like... Wheel take a wheel Put it side by side. Yeah, like,
1: how can we make this smaller and lighter? And eventually, like, we got it down to, like, $450.
0: serious cash,
1: isn't it? Serious. Well, actually, that ruined me for, like, January and February. Well, actually, mm. past three months, because, you know, I budgeted $85. And I was, I'm on such a tight budget, I was like bam it was literally just straight. Okay, that's just going on the credit card.
0: It's a nice way to finish the challenge, isn't it? <laughs>
1: well, well, to be honest, this is why it's probably the biggest nightmare because I then I then fly off to Australia for Christmas with my family. Uh, my brother lives over there, and um, I thought, oh, you know, you have your Christmas and Boxing Day and New Year and stuff. And I thought, oh, I haven't heard from from uh, from the family yet. You know, I wonder if they must have received the bike. And I checked on DHL, and it was back in uh, Cabo San Lucas. And I was literally just like, what the heck? So I'm in Australia on my British mobile calling Mexico or calling Cabo San Lucas in Mexico, um, not speaking Spanish. So you can imagine, also imagine my phone Hello. bill at the end of this. And they were like, oh, you need like, you need commercial invoices to send it across the border. And I mean, I was putting it out on social media and getting like nowhere and it was the most stressful thing because I thought, well, again, if the bike doesn't go yeah. back, it doesn't get back. And then they were like, "You need you need to come in and see us. And it's like, I'm in a different country. I'm not coming back to Mexico. I'm not coming back to Mexico, Lucas. So in the end, I actually Googled the president's... Uh, or did a bit of stalking and found out who the president was of DHL and just emailed him directly. So then I got a response from like the president's office. We will take care of this. It's like
0: the most gangster move. Just go oh. straight
1: to the top. But, but it was. And the next 30 days, it wasn't a case of you know being able to relax. It was like, this bike had better get there. And I'm like tracking the bike on DHL. And I'd be getting these phone calls like... This is so. say, also, they couldn't understand the time... Dif- or I couldn't explain the time differences. So trying to say, I'm on a British mobile, but I'm in Australia. Can you call me at this time? And yeah. they're like, oh, you, if you're in Australia, oh, you need the Australian DHL. No. So I was getting phone calls at basically half three every morning and having to... And oh, it was a nightmare. Anyway. So we nightmare. know we,
0: we know that you got there.
1: Got there, you yes. You did
0: finish it. Yes. Let's go through some of your, again, personal highlights, difficult moments. Because I know there were a few difficult moments in the challenge itself. You load up your bike you start in vancouver you start cycling talk to me about that first sort of 20 30 miles when you actually realized that you had all of this distance to cover in front of you
1: oh my god uh fear overwhelm oh my god i've got lactic acid build up in my legs my legs are hurting my bum is hurting oh i'm lost as well and i <laughs> i actually ended up going the wrong way down um a highway <laughs> and i I like miss my turning so i actually turned around this is really bad don't do this but turn around and wrote i was on the hard shoulder obviously yeah. rode back the wrong way with all i mean pretty much it was the first night even camping like and i'd never used my tent before so i didn't quite know how to set up my because i got a new tent so i didn't quite know how to like figure out the tent setup but it was also really really exciting one of my first bits of the journey i took a boat over to vancouver island and i was on this boat going over and i just remember seeing a double rainbow i was thinking this is an incredible way to to start the journey Mm. so it was definitely just like Oh, my God, I'm actually doing this. But I think you always have those moments, though, don't you? So um, Yeah, for yeah. sure.
0: And that first half of the challenge, if we split into the Pacific mm. Coast Highway, personal highlights for you, moments that you really remember?
1: I think what I enjoyed most was the people. So Appalachian Trail, it was very solo because I was moving so rapidly that i was just passing people all the time and no one was going going at my speed whereas on pacific coast highway there wasn't really that time pressure so i actually got to like cycle with other people and going into the campsite and um you know every evening we'd be having people by the logs and we'd have these like campfires and we'd all be cooking together and eating together it became very very communal Mm. um i loved seeing pacific ocean for the first time that was amazing seeing big Sur, i mean one of the great bits was um they were doing like a lot of uh, road works in certain certain parts. And so they'd shut the road off and I'd be like the last person to go through. So all the cars would speed up and I would have this like massive road. So I'd have the Pacific coast on my right hand side with these beautiful waves like crashing over the, you know, the sea air coming into my face. But completely dead quiet roads, like no cars, okay. no traffic. And just riding along at my own pace, which was pretty slow, ambling along and just contemplating thinking, this is my life. This is awesome. This is something that I've created and you know, it's something I dreamed about and now I'm you know, reality and I'm actually doing it.
0: Was there a huge differential between that challenge and the Appalachian Trail challenge? I have heard you talk about the loneliness of these challenges in the past and how actually the way you perceive them has changed over the years in terms of, yeah, you, you quite like spending time on your own, you can do stuff on your own. So now actually I want to do things with people. Do you think that was the turning point, the gap between those two challenges?
1: Yes, 100%. And also, I think it's also the gap of being at home as well. Because when you're building a business and when you're building a brand, and and this is the stuff that people don't see when you're like editing podcasts or editing vlogs, You know, you can sometimes be working fifteen to sixteen hours a day and I you know I work in my bedroom, I work from my bed, that's my that's my office. Mm. And I don't see people because I'll I'll wake up and pull my laptop up and start working. And you know, obviously I'll you know I'll see my parents and I'll see the people at the gym. But that's the the sum all of my like social interactions with people. And I really noticed it after the Appalachian Trail and, and in between Pacific Coast Highway. And I thought, I'm really lonely. And actually Something's got to you know I'm aware of it, something's got to change and I think that's why I probably enjoyed the social interaction so much more because I hadn't but sp- you know even in the first week on Pacific Coast Highway, I hadn't spoken to that many people um as I had during that week you know just meeting people who were like very similar minded who were also cycling down Pacific Coast Highway and were doing these great things and so um I definitely noticed yeah, I definitely noticed that
0: You get to the halfway point then. What changes? Explain exactly what you have to do at that halfway point. You've mentioned the bike. You also have to change the way everything's packed and things, right?
1: Well, I should have done. So I had uh, my setup was panniers on the was panniers on the bag, and um, which I which had been obviously absolutely fine for Pacific Coast Highway. But I didn't know enough about off-road mountain biking in terms of like weight distribution and, and balancing it out and, and, you know, all this, all this sort of stuff. I thought I'd be fine with like my two panniers. I was also very aware my stuff was a lot heavier than I thought it was going to be. Like, so I had like, a you know, had my laptop and my, my cameras and my, my phone and all this sort of stuff, but I still thought it was going to be okay. Like, I didn't think my, the packing or the weight of the, the weight on the back rack was going to make that much of a difference. I was more worried about my tires, you know, what if my tire bursts or something like that. Basically, with the border with Mexico, a lot of people can freak you out. So, people were talking to me about border crossings, and and you, you can't do it by yourself. You need to do it with other people. And normally, I am very good at like locking people out and their yeah. their fears, not letting their fears come into my head. But actually, these fears got into me, and I was like, actually, maybe I shouldn't. You know, if this many people are giving me the advice that I shouldn't cross the border by myself. That it is dangerous. That I need to do it with other people. I need to take this on. You know, I've got to be sensible at the end of the day. And so I ended up joining a Facebook group for uh, for Baja California, for, for doing the off road section. There was two guys who were doing a similar time as me. Brilliant, perfect. Met up with them in San Diego, and then we started, you know, riding together. We crossed the border together, and then we started on the Baja Divide. And Actually, one of the first things that happened is my chain ended up breaking like a day in. Helpful. Helpful. But I, you know, I don't have the skills to fix a chain. But one of the guys did. He, you know, so he fixed a chain. Fabulous. But we were sort of working together as. Um, it's like this mini team and we've been out on like the off-road section for you know for four days four or five days um and it's it's riding across sand so instead of me doing like 60 miles per day you're doing like 20 miles per day and it's riding across it's just so slow and it's also like mountain biking basically which also I hadn't really done before but I was building my confidence up and the bike was fantastic the bike just basically glided over stuff and you know didn't have any well i didn't think i had any problems with like the weight distribution everything else and um everything seemed to be going great to be honest like absolutely perfect you couldn't you know you couldn't wish for any beautiful weather hot during the day it got a little bit cold at night but we were camping we were self-sufficient it was it was
0: awesome. Until <laughs>
1: until, well, <clears throat> we were going through this very sort of gnarly, uh, very gnarly, like big boulders, big rocks, sort of things. And I thought, you know, this I need to walk my bike through through these little bits. And and actually, a couple of the guys, you know, they walked walked their bikes as well. So it wasn't like a big thing. And then I was then I thought, oh, I can ride this section. Started riding, and I was hearing these noises like, ee, ee, ee. and I was like, oh, what's that? Maybe it's just me, like my tires squeaking. And then suddenly my bike just like slammed to a stop. And I was like, whoa, what's happening? And like the two two guys had like carried on cycling because we didn't always cycle together, but we'd always stop and, you know, we'll stop and have lunch together or, you know, stop and wait for others to catch
0: up. It's kind of like a bungee sort of feel.
1: Exactly. And uh, so suddenly I'm in the desert with my bike and I can't even get the tyre to turn. And I was like, this, what? Oh my God. So I was like, right, just be sensible work the problem we can do this so I took all my stuff took took everything off the bike and basically found out the back rack had uh, snapped in two places so I had to like tie the back rack up with bungee cords around my seat but that meant that no weight could rest on the back of the bike so I got these two very very heavy panniers how do I get these and the bike out of the desert? So I ended up strapping one of the panniers to the front of the handlebars, and then the other one I sort of strapped onto my shoulders, which was very tight. You know, probably like digging into like the flesh. Yeah. And I thought, well, it's okay because um, I'll bump into the guys in a little bit. But I'll have you know, I'll have to start walking, and start pushing my bike up. We're about 20 miles away from the next town that we were going to be going into. Started walking. Thought, oh, some you know, caught up with the guys yet? Yeah, That's okay. And some of these, some of these descents and uh, descents were incredibly steep. So my brakes were pretty much on full all the time, trying to control the bike. And the back of my legs were getting shredded from um, from the from the pedals. And you know, you're dripping in sweat, and you have got the heat of the desert. It's pretty brutal. But equally, in my head, I'm thinking, Sarah, you've done this before. You've you know, obviously not pushed the bike, but you've walked big distances before. You've you know, you've run a marathon to Saabs. Everything's going to be fine. You're not injured. You've got water. You've got food. You know. I wasn't panicked I wasn't stressed I was just sort of thinking it's just um, it's just a bit of an inconvenience really you were in
0: that stage of self encouragement
1: and I'm also I'm always very positive and um, (laughs) yeah carried on carried on walking for the next couple of hours and then suddenly it's getting to 3 o'clock and I thought I still haven't come across the guys yet so I wouldn't be able to make it to the to the town like it was just too far away so what do I do do I do I wild camp which I which I can totally do when do when do I stop because it starts to get really cold in the desert by about four o'clock when the sun starts going down it's it's, you want to have your tent set up and everything and um Luckily, came across this uh, family who had a truck, and I was like, "Oh, broken bike! Can you get me to Santa Thomas?" Bear in mind, I don't speak Spanish, so um, they did. They drove me through, and I eventually came across the guys um, who hadn't waited for me in the desert, and they basically then started like shouting at me. I was like, "Well, um, where have you been?" And we looked like the beats who left you in the desert, and I'm like, "You did." Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was challenging because then we had to cycle. From there to you know, to find some accommodation in the dark. I didn't have lights on my bike. Still got this panniers on my back, and like all my legs and arms and back were just like locking up from from all this walking. And get you know got to this hotel, and I was thinking, never want to see these guys again in my life. Just don't even want to. You know, I won't be traveling with them. And that's yeah, that's ended up what happening. Just didn't speak to them again because I thought no, this isn't the people the kind of people I want in my. Want in my life, and yeah. had to catch a bus the following morning to get to vincento Guerrera, where there's a bike shop to get my bike fixed. And um, the bike guy there, uh, what's his name? Uh, I want to say like Francesco or something like that. And he was like, Oh, so many people come in who do the off road divide, they come in with broken back racks because of the panniers. And I was like, Wish I'd known that beforehand because, like, it was just wasn't really, you know, you just don't come across it in your research. So so then I had like the options of do I change my do I change my setup? Um, again, that's going to cost me more more money to continue going on on the off road section. But because of all the various you know delays which had taken place and you know, from like waiting for people to then cross the border, that was putting a huge amount of pressure on me being able to finish like the off road section in, in Baja. Or my other option is I could just carry on down the road um, just on the Mexico one um, and still get to Cabo San Lucas. And so eventually got the bike fixed and then it was a case of okay I'm going to carry on down the road and that's what I ended up doing so yeah basically doing my hard divide I went with I went with the correct bike but the wrong wrong gear wrong setup and it ended up costing me a lot of money in terms of you know posting the bike back broken back racks which I had to get replaced whereas actually what I should have done is just continued on my bike all the way down and just Cycle down the one. But you live and you learn, and yeah.
0: And you got it done at the end of the day? I
1: got it done. I didn't do the off-road section, which I'm disappointed about, because obviously, I admit, well, actually, it's quite funny, because it's um, so a Baja spelled B-A-J-A. And so when I first saw it, I'm like, Baja. 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 I'm doing the Baja Divide.
0: It sounds like a club, that.
1: Oh, God. So there's an eight-minute eight video of me talking about the Baja Divide <laughs> <laughs> Until someone messaged me saying, oh, by the way, they pronounce it Baja. And I was like, how am I meant to know that? So that's really embarrassing. So, uh, yes, so... Um, But I still cycled all the way to Cabo San Lucas in time for my flight, so...
0: What I find really interesting about the things that you've done is that you kind of add something on or change something up with each challenge. Everything's a little bit different. Is that a big thing for you, continually challenging yourself and continually changing things up and not doing anything that's too similar?
1: I just, I want to keep challenging myself and keep learning new things and, and also showing people, like, you know, going into a cycling thing with... You know, with no knowledge, like well, I don't know how to change a tire, but we'll figure it out along the way. I think that's really, really powerful um, because I, knew, I do know some people who go back and do like the same race multiple times. And I'm just I almost feel like once I've done something once, I will never get the same. If it's been amazing, for example, and then you go back the following year, you're always going to be comparing it to that. And it may, not be as, it may not be as good. And I also think there's so many incredible things out there that you can do. I just want to try them all, really, and just do different things, whether it is, um, you know, kayaking or swimming or sailing or I don't know. There's, there's so many incredible things out there. What
0: have these challenges brought you?
1: Uh, joy, fulfillment, sense of achievement. Uh, it's brought me friendships. I think joy and happiness. I know that sounds really like trite, but actually it is an incredible privilege for me to be able to go out and spend three months out on Appalachian Trail or three months cycling um, or to spend time in Australia. This is something that I've worked so incredibly hard to build. So, you know, pre, you know, eight years working in banking, eight years sat at a desk, this one little tiny cubicle desk with big screens everywhere. And then now I've worked incredibly hard to design a life that, well, you know, but I don't need a holiday from my life. I, you know, I'm, I'm so privileged and lucky and I, I love what I do. and I love how I'm doing it, but it hasn't, I think one thing i try and be, it hasn't always been transparent. I know people can look and say, oh, it's easy for you to go traveling for seven months, but it's like, yes, but I've been building yeah. this business for like over four years. I yeah. don't
0: think you're lucky. I think that's the wrong word to use. Mm. I don't think you're lucky because you have worked incredibly hard, as you said, over eight years and It's always a brave thing to do, isn't it? Jumping from a secure job with money, with progression there if Mm. you want to progress, to do something totally from the beginning. And I'm sure that was a very, very scary time. But looking back now, I'm sure you're very happy that you did that and you feel probably a lot more fulfilled now than you did back then.
1: Oh, a huge amount. And I do... Yeah, like, it's incredible. Like, I'm... Like, I don't... don't... (laughs) I don't want to like harp on about it. Be like, oh, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. But it is really, especially when you see something building and growing and something that you know that you've done it. I mean, there's obviously there's been like support around me with like the listeners and members of the Tukal tribe and people who step up to, to help support me. But when like every decision, when you design your website, um, you know, every person that you've interviewed is just it's gradually built and built and built and mm. built and it continues to build that's pretty that's pretty amazing
0: if people want to be part of this journey where do they find you
1: they go to toughgirlchallenges.com that's like the umbrella that's there's the books on there there's a podcast on there it's all the other interviews with these incredible women so there's over 200 episodes of other women who have hiked cycled sailed around the world swam the channel climbed mountains played rugby for their country there's a whole whole variety of, of interviews and stories on there as well
0: Big thank you to Sarah for coming on and thank you for today's episode sponsor, Raven Rock. You can check out their Instagram, which I will link in the description box of this podcast. Loads of classic pieces that you need to have in your wardrobe. If you enjoyed today's episode, please do rate, review and subscribe and I will catch you in a couple of weeks.